I thought we were going to talk about your new glasses. We can talk about my new glasses. Because you said you were going to pick them up. Today. And you mentioned that your new glasses look the same as your old glasses. I did. And then you said that you were wearing your new glasses and I thought you were joking because they really look just like your old glasses. <laughs> they are a slightly different aspect ratio. They're slightly taller. They're shinier. They're shinier. They're the same brand. They're literally the same brand. I'm really surprised. I can feel the difference. Can you see better? That's because of the lenses rather than the frames. You do the same thing. You bought the same glasses as close as you could to the ones you had before. I bought similar glasses, but they're a different brand. Like they, they do look different. You wouldn't look at my old glasses and my new glasses and be like, are they the same glasses? They're quite obviously different. Okay, fine. You're right. boring (laughs) that's the end of that then (laughs) I want to be taken seriously I don't feel I could have gone for round frames I don't want to look like Harry Potter I didn't want glasses that filled my face I didn't want big black frames but you've got big black frames I could could have bigger black frames bigger black frames okay yeah that's it you know what You, you completely missed the obvious counterattack which is that i literally went into a shop and bought the same shoes that <laughs> i had previously had i'm okay with that i'm okay with you buying the same shoes as you had before i literally went into the same shop that i bought my previous set of trainers from and picked up a pair of shoes that looked as close to my current set of trainers and just bought them did the shop assistant look at your feet and think what's this guy up to no the shop assistant seemed to have not clocked at all that i was buying the same thing again because she was like is this the right size? And I was like, yeah, it's the same size as my current ones. And she was like, oh yeah. <laughs> she like, totally had not noticed that they're the same. I think there's a sign of getting old. You're just not inspired to to change. Oh dear. I really am feeling my age. It's terrible. Yeah, you talked about ASOS and worrying about finding something untrendy, if that's word. It's not possible, don't worry. You know what I was saying about just feeling tired all the time? Maybe this is just getting older. Maybe this is just what it feels like to be mid-30s. It can't be. It really cannot be. I mean, it's rubbish either way. Because otherwise, there's two ways to look at it. Either we keep going down this road until we're 70, 80, 90. Or we U-turn and, it, you know, we revert back to as we were. With, no, it's, that's a lie. Tiredness is just going to get worse. They say, you know, there are three stages of life. You know, when you're young, you have time but no money. Yeah. And then you've got money but no time. And the end? You've got time and money but no energy? Yeah. It's not going to help you at all. That's not helpful at all. That's not positive. Can't spin that in any way. (laughs) It's like there's no positive spin to this. And that's why we should all just... No, I can't say that. (laughs) You should. You should say it now. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. We're a book club for games. But not today. I have with me Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Ting. Yay! Does that make you happy? Finally. You know, we did it within 50 episodes. Oh, I should have saved it for the 50th episode. You're right. Yeah, you seem so disappointed. Do you know what? I told you she she would have saved this for pre-chat. I told you I met someone else called Ting Ting. I actually met someone whose name is Ting Ting. And after that, I thought... I should probably just call you Ting. You know, my sister's also called that as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. That made me laugh. Sorry, I just I just couldn't believe it. You know, this other Ting Ting was also a woman. So I guess it's a girl's name. It is a girl's name. I went to the doctors and they thought, oh, we were expecting a girl. 
That's frustrating. Yeah, I remember. I remember this as well. We went to when we're meeting your family at the buffet. You know, there was your booking, and they were like, "Oh, Ms. Ting," and you're like, "Mr. Ting, thanks." Yeah, I had that with another booking I've got for this weekend as well. Anyway, sorry. After having thoroughly derailed it, we're not a book club of games today. Today we are talking about the Snares Classic Mini. Is that right? No. <laughs> I got to admit, I've just been calling it the NES Mini and the Snares Mini, but I think officially it's called the NES Classic, or in this case, the Snares Classic. So obviously, it's the follow-up to the NES Classic. Let's talk about you know quickly what it is, and then what we'll do next is we're just going to run through the games in some detail. Yes, exposing our tremendous lack of planning and foresight. I was just having a chat, right? A casual chat. Don't worry. Just having a casual chat. It's a casual chat podcast. It's a casual, casual podcast. <laughs> Does not mean amateur. <laughs> Does not mean amateur. I think technically this is an amateur podcast. We're certainly not being paid for it. <laughs> okay, so the SNES Classic. Full up to the NES Classic. It is a mini console with 21 preloaded games. Comes with two controllers. Which are wired. Which are wired. Weirdly, this time round, there's a little flap that hides the controller ports, so you can maintain the clean look of your SNES slash Super Famicom, but the connectors are obviously different. I think it looked in the photo like it was still using the kind of Wii connector, so I do wonder whether you were able to plug these into like a Wii U or something. What's the Wii connector? You know, the little dongle on the bottom of a Wiimote. There's that little slot that you put the nunchuck in. Got you. That's wild speculation. I've never seen one of these in the world. I've never even seen a, a NES Classic really up close. I'd have thought the, uh, the... Retro gaming. Yeah. A bunch of people have them, but they've never brought them to the event. Because the controller wire is so short. Selfish bastards. <laughs> I've not met you guys. I'm sorry if, if you're listening. So, one global release date? September 29th. 2017. 2017. So we're talking about this as if you should just know what Super NES is, which I guess you kind of should, but... But if you don't? So the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, or Super Famicom in Japan, follow up to the wildly popular Nintendo Entertainment System. Can you just say wildly popular like that? I think so. I think it saved the video game industry, didn't it? After the Atari meltdown. Go on then. Also, I don't have Wikipedia open in front of me, so I can't give you any more facts than that. <laughs> Released in Japan, 1990, North America in 91, and Europe in 1992. The Super Nintendo, best console ever. Certainly one of them anyway. I think this was the end of the 2D sprite era, because the next generation of consoles was all 3D. You got the PlayStation, you got the N64, and a bunch of Sega stuff that is kind of consigned to the dustbin of history. Poor Sega. Poor Sega. You mentioned that, um... The release dates are so far apart. Yeah, it, it is odd. Well, if you, if you think that today, the Switch released... I mean, it didn't release everywhere globally, but it released in a lot of countries, in the East and the West, all within a few days. Whereas you've got a gap of almost a year between each of the, the major regions for this console. I guess it's not unheard of. I mean, if you think the PS3 actually had a similar problem, didn't it? 
I think it was released in Japan and there was a significant delay before the US and then another significant delay before Europe. And that was another one of my reasons for not buying a PS3 originally. But not too big a difference, right? We're talking about like half a year, a few months. Please cut me out if I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I can't be bothered to fact check to you, so I'll probably just leave you in anyway. <laughs> anyway, that is, by the by, in my opinion, as I said, one of the best consoles ever. So many great games, and many of them are actually on this compilation. I haven't actually really thought from an absolute perspective, if I was going to pick, you know, my top 20 SNES games of all time, or even top 21, what would they be? And if I was to do the same for other consoles too, like if we, I don't think they will do, or at least not for the foreseeable, but if they were to make an N64 classic, what would be on it, for example? But I really think this is the sweet spot, because the N64 I don't think has aged well at all. To clarify my statement... Yes, please. Think about Super Mario Maker, for example, just just as a concrete example of this. You have games on Super Mario Maker with the same graphics as the SNES, or even the NES, in fact. 2D sprite work actually ages quite well. Whereas, if you were to show Mario 64 now, people would probably just vomit or think there was something wrong with their eyes. Yeah, you'd need a remaster. So even from the generation of the NES onwards, the graphics are still acceptable by modern standards. It's actually, you know, they actually age pretty well. Whereas pre-NES, if you look at the old Atari games, those graphics are actually, you know, below the threshold of acceptability, I would have thought. And it's a similar problem in 3D space with the N64. Two more things, really. Price? $79.99 USD or $69.99 British pounds or £3,000 million on eBay, because you can't actually buy one because they're sold out everywhere. So it's slightly more expensive than the NES Classic. I have, I have an, actually, I have a question. What, why do you think they're doing this? Because they love money. They've got, like, one of those big Scrooge McDuck money pits, and it's only half full, so they need to make some more. But someone's going to tell them, you can't swim in that money, it's going to hurt. <laughs> we don't have to tell them, we can just watch when they jump in. This is what you get. This is what you get. Well, no, the thing is, actually, once it's full, they're going to jump and they're going to, like, land two inches. It'll be fine. That's true. Yeah, you see, that's why, if they were to jump now, it would be dangerous. You know, for all we know, they're filled with dollar bills. It's probably fine, as long as they haven't stacked them. If they scrunch them up and throw them in... Then it's fine. No cuts, no paper cuts. Yeah, no paper cuts. It's going to be soft. Aren't, like, banknotes made out of cotton? Oh, these days, yeah. Or plastic. Ooh, yeah, maybe. The final thing was why the discrepancy in design between the... I didn't know about this until... Did you not know? No, I would never have seen a US SNES until recently. It's really interesting, because you genuinely just had no Nintendo console growing up. You only really got into consoles with the N64 onwards. Yeah. As you'll realise in a few minutes... And it's not an age thing, I guess. It's just uh, what you happen to have when you're growing up, I guess. Yeah. Like, did you have a Mega Drive? No, but my cousin had one. Not that I had a Mega Drive, but... <laughs> but for this straw man argument, let's pretend I did. Anyway, back to your original question. The physical design of the console you will get depends on your region. So, the American SNES has a completely different design to the 
snares slash superfamicom everywhere else. Everywhere other than the US, it has kind of rounded corners and this red, yellow, green, blue kind of aesthetic on the controller, which is, well, I think it's very pretty. Also, all sorts of nostalgia for me, I guess. The US SNES is very angular and blocky, and its color scheme is basically gray and two shades of purple. Why? I don't know. I think they've just got no taste. I heard, anecdotally, the guy responsible for the design was concerned that it looked like a loaf of bread when stacked on top of other peripherals. So at the time, they were expecting to actually have it be much more modular and stack lots of other units underneath the snares. Probably the main one they thought they were going to have at the time was the CD unit, obviously, but that never came to be. In any case, he is quoted somewhere saying, you know, it didn't look good when stacked on top of other things. It looked like a bag of bread. So instead they got this hideous angular thing. I mean, lots of other people kind of speculated that maybe they thought it looked more macho with like all the hard edges and stuff. It maybe looked better in like your hi-fi unit or something, but less like a toy, less like a toy. Mm. But, you know, it all got discolored over time. That's, that, that was not a good look either. I guess if you owned one, you don't want the European looking one now, would you, right? Well, if you're capitalizing on nostalgia, then you have to capture the nostalgia of the people buying it. And if in their mind, that's what a SNES looks like, then I guess that's what you've got to sell them. Well said. Should we start? First off, first off, first off. Would you be interested in having one? No. <laughs> I guess you've got no nostalgia. You know the burden of having more games. You know there's a burden that I seem to sort of get, I guess. Yeah, you're, it... you're always trying to divest yourself of stuff. For you, it's like, oh, I'm only really playing... PUBG. Yeah. And if you don't install it, it's fine. Is that how you work mentally? How I work mentally is like, oh, I should play this game. And then if I install it, that's kind of half of the job done. Yeah, whereas simply appearing on the list is just too much. It's just, traumatic for you. Yeah, just the sense of ownership is too much. I actually have my Steam list pre-filtered to installed only, so I don't see the other thousand. <laughs> How many do you see then? About 60, which is why I've got installed. That's okay. Well, I should actually just have it on recently played, and then I see PUBG. Okay, so we're just going to rattle through the list and say things about the things we've got to say. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say stuff because you actually have nothing to say about most of these. It really is going to be like story time with Mike. I've got marshmallows and the hot chocolate here with me. I, I'm just so shocked you haven't played these because some of these games are so good. I think I think it would actually be fun to sit down and play through them, even if just like, you know, just for a day, just for a few hours, just rattle through and play each of them for like 10, 15 minutes just so you get a flavour of what some of these were like. Wait, let's go back a step. Are you getting one then? That's you saying you're getting one. Uh, I'm probably not getting one on the grounds that they're going to be impossible to find. Like, if someone gave me one, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. But I wouldn't... Is that you hinting? No, 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 no. So I think next Christmas, this Christmas, sorry. <laughs> I think, I mean, I've played basically all these games before. I basically played all these games before. So for me, it's nothing new. And... I just think there are better ways to play these, like... Oh, okay. <laughs> well, in terms of 
you know, it's kind of cute. And it's like this nice portable device, but it's still like locked to this device. You can't transfer your safe game off it. Various other things. It's it's very nice and convenient if you're not the person who has all sorts of weird computers lying around and controller adapters and things. So, for me personally, I don't think I'd go out of my way to buy one, particularly because I expect they're going to be very hard to get hold of. I would not go on eBay and pay over the odds to get one. But I do like it as an artifact that is being produced, and I do think the list of games they've selected is very good. Okay, let's get to it. Contra 3, The Alien Wars. Well, this one is an interesting one because I actually really wonder whether they will actually call it this in Europe. Because Europe is getting the SNES classic as well in the same kind of physical form factor as Japan. But in Europe, it is not called Contra 3. In Europe, it's called Super Probotector. Can you say it slowly for me? Super Probotector. Probotector? It's really weird. I don't understand why, but it's one of those situations where the gaming media is dominated by the US, at least on the internet. A lot of gaming sites are actually based in the US, and no one really talks about the weird Europe-specific stuff. So people will talk about how Nintendo of America banned religious references, didn't like alcohol in their games and so on. Nintendo of Europe had equally bizarre but different censorship. So it made all the same censorship decisions as the US because the Europe releases were probably based off the US releases because they were translated into English. But they did additional stuff too. So Contra, I think, is originally about... I'm not sure. Are you supposed to be fighting like drug cartels or something in the jungle? And you're these two guys that are like Rambo. Or it's like aliens. You're fighting aliens in the jungle. I don't know. Whatever reason, they don't call it Contra in Europe. In Europe, it's been called Probotector. And you are two robots fighting aliens. They've changed the graphics as well. They changed the graphics as well. And so instead of calling it Contra 3, they called it Super Probotector to make it a sequel to the Europe version, which was these two robots instead. And that was the most interesting thing I had to say about that title. It's an extremely good run-and-gun shooter. It's a classic. It's very good. Have you played much? I own it on a physical cartridge. Actually, do I still own it? I might have sold it. I sold a lot of my SNES games to buy an N64 back in the day. I definitely owned it at one point. Did you finish it? Was it crazy hard? It's crazy hard. It's crazy hard. I don't think I actually finished it. Or at least I certainly didn't finish it on the hardest difficulty where you get true ending and an extra boss. And I'm going to repeat that question going down this list, just so you know. Okay, okay, okay. Next up, we have Donkey Kong Country. So, fun fact, I've never played Donkey Kong Country. Actually, that's a lie. I played it, like, in a shop on a demo station, but I've never owned any of the Donkey Kong Country games or played them more than, like, ten minutes. Two questions, maybe one. Why? Why didn't you buy Donkey Kong Country? I I literally have no idea. I just happened to not buy the first one, and then as a result just didn't really particularly feel like I should buy any of the sequels either. 
So I've never really played any of the Donkey Kong Country games. So you don't, it's not because you have a negative view on them? No, it's just literally, I just never got into the series as a whole. So it's like a big blind spot in the SNES library for me. I know it's supposed to be very good, but I never got into it. Whereas, bizarrely, this is the one game on the list. I've played a lot of this. One, my, one of my good school friends had this, and it's a, it's a two-play game. So you just tag in when the other one loses their life. It was an easy way for me to get in. Did I get to the end? I have no idea. You don't know. It was, it was really just a drop-in, drop-out kind of situation. So if I was there, I would just play. If, if I wasn't there, he just kept going. I think the Donkey Kong Country games have a lot of collectibles, and there's lots of funny stuff about 101% or something. But I genuinely don't know, because I never really played them. And this was when Rare was pushing the boat out. So it was a 2D side-scroller, but with 3D... 3D? Can I say 3D sprites? Is that a real thing? Yeah, pre-rendered. Pre-rendered sprites. So they they had, I was going to say, high polygon count in inverted commas, 3D models, and then rendered those down to sprites. So the whole game has this kind of pseudo 3D look. Quite pretty for that. For the time, time, it was considered revolutionary. Again, I would say it probably hasn't aged that well compared to hand-drawn sprite work. No comment. The thing I'm sure a lot of people mention is that your memory preserves games a lot better than reality. To my mind, it's still a pretty looking game, but I couldn't tell you. They made a recent sequel, didn't they? There's Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, I think, on the Wii. Yes, there is. Is it the Wii or the Wii U? Might be the Wii U. And that's quite interesting because this time they really do have the high polygon models as the actual game models. They don't have to do the whole funny pre-rendered sprite thing anymore. I heard it's quite a hard game as well. Or at least the new one is. Yeah, that's what they try to do. Although Nintendo games present themselves as something that is for kids, they're proper games still. Next one. Earthbound. Ooh, jinx. So did you play Earthbound on the SNES? I did not. So Earthbound I would have loved to have played back in the day, but it was never released in Europe. So many, many, many RPGs for some reason were just not released in Europe. I don't know whether it's because they thought if they were going to release it in the UK, they would have to also release it in France and Germany and all these other countries that would require new translations and it thus be a lot of work. Or whether they just thought there wasn't a market for it. But either way, Earthbound and many other RPGs, which we'll probably touch on further down the list, were not released in Europe. So, sad times. But we have played Earthbound. We have played it now, so you can go back and listen to it on the podcast and hear our impressions. Okay, the next one is exactly the same situation, Final Fantasy 3. Again, I really wanted to play this. Despite being called Final Fantasy 3, this is actually Final Fantasy 6. The main series Final Fantasy games, they didn't release all of them in the West. Final Fantasy 1 was released in the US as Final Fantasy 1. 
Final Fantasy IV was released in the US as Final Fantasy II, and Final Fantasy VI was released in the US as Final Fantasy III, which is what this one is. I think this is considered one of the greatest RPGs of all time. Yet. You've not played it. I have played it since through other means, but I actually have never finished it, interestingly. I never quite managed to finish it, despite the fact I really, really wanted to play it as a kid. But it's... I mean, it's a long and complicated game. There's a huge array of characters. It's got a massive cast by the standards of a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, without going into too much detail, I mean, it's been released on many, many platforms since. I think you can actually even get it for iOS now. I'm sure you can. I'm just totally guessing that because it's on basically everything. You can probably get it for your toaster. I mean, they really released it on the PlayStation and that was the easiest way to play it in Europe for a while. But certainly back in the day, Final Fantasy III wasn't available. I did actually see it in a shop one time. For the snares? For the snares, for the snares. So back when it would have been a current game, I remember going into... Oh, jeez, what's the name of the shop in Bracknell? I used to go there all the time. The second-hand shop in Bracknell that we talked about. Oh, like, so you're not sure on the name? <laughs> many episodes ago. We did talk about it. We did. I've, I've even got a picture of it. Because it's shockingly still open. But I remember going into there and seeing it and it being in an intimidatingly large box and being very curious about it. Intimidatingly large? How large is that? How, how large does something need to be, to be to intimidate you? It was just an unusually large box. I think Super Metroid came in in a similarly large box. It had a big like guide stuffed with it. And Earthbound is the same. It comes in a big box. Like a PC game box from the 90s? Yeah, that kind of size. I mean, different aspect ratio. I, I don't remember exactly. I just remember it was an unusual box and I was looking at the back of it. And at the time, I didn't know what it was. And it cost a lot. Like it was something like 90 quid or something in the shop because it came bundled with an adapter. (laughs) What was the adapter? Because it was an American game. So it wouldn't run on a European SNES. You had to use a region adapter. It was an official adapter? No, not an official adapter. They just bundled it in because they knew it wouldn't work on anybody's SNES unless it had an adapter. So it was expensive and looked really interesting. But I didn't have 90 quid on me, so I didn't buy it. And someone else just walked in the shop and saw it and immediately bought it. This happened recently? No, this is back when I was like 10 or something. I, was, I say 10. However old I would have been in oh. like 96 or something. Okay, so you did want it back then. And you knew about it. Well, no, I didn't know about it when I first saw it in the shop. And then sometime later, I started buying a Super NES magazine called Superplay. And they had frequent, frequent features about RPGs that weren't available in the UK. And this was one of them. And then I realised, oh, I saw this. I wish I'd bought it because then I really wanted to play it. Another fun and bizarre fact about it is that you can play the whole game through this adapter, the American version on a European SNES, but the ending sequence doesn't work. So you could put 60, 80, 100 hours into this game and get to the end and then it will just crash at the very end. So Superplay actually had a whole feature where they literally just devoted several pages to showing you what the ending of Final Fantasy 3 is. So anyone who actually had bought it could actually see what they were missing. Crazy. This is pre-YouTube. Yeah, this is pre-YouTube. They had to print it and just describe the music. This wasn't even no, no CDs either. It's not a case they could just get the video onto a CD for you to watch. So this adapter could have worked with other games? Yeah, it, it could have worked with other games. Again, more fun SNES facts. That's what this one's about. So 
the Japanese and American snares, despite the fact they look totally different, internally they have the same region lockout chip. So Japanese cartridges will not physically fit into a US SNES, but you can go and pull out these two little plastic tabs in the cartridge slot, and then you can just play Japanese games on a US SNES. Whereas a UK SNES physically looks the same as a Japanese SNES, but it won't play the same games because it has a different lockout chip. So these adapters are basically kind of two cartridge slots side by side. So you plug this kind of double cartridge slot into your cartridge slot and then you put the import game you want to put in the first cartridge slot and then you put a regular UK game into the second cartridge slot. Any regular UK game. Any regular UK game. And then when the SNES boots up, it sends it the lockout signal from the UK game and once it passes the lockout, then it loads the rest of the game from the foreign cart. People are smart. There are smart people out there. Thankfully. But the thing is, unlike today, where the lockout is purely a software thing and the actual hardware is really the same, no matter what region, there was far less computing horsepower back then, and so everything is much more bare metal and analogue. So, to make it compatible with the timing signal on your TV, a UK SNES actually runs at a different frequency to an American one, because the American TV standard is 60 hertz, whereas the UK one is 50 hertz. But you have to match the frame rate update of your TV. So the game has to run at 50 hertz, like 50 frames per second rather than 60. And this is the sort of thing that causes the incompatibilities that mean things like the ending sequence won't work sometimes. So the the import stuff is not perfect. And I guess that was another cost to releasing the game in the UK or PAL regions. They would have to do some minor recoding to fix timing issues like that. So what's next? F-Zero, we're going through these alphabetically. Okay. I don't actually have that much to say about it. Nor do I. It's a classic racing game. I'm not good at racing games. I didn't enjoy it that much. Unless it's Mario Kart. This is Mario Kart, yeah, which we'll get to later. On the other hand... Kirby Superstar. What is Kirby Superstar? I love this game. I love Kirby. Is Kirby always a 2D platformer? He is when it matters. And does it matter for Superstar? Yeah, Superstar is a really good 2D platformer. Kirby is another mascot. Is he a Nintendo mascot? I mean, it was like Howl Laboratories, really, that invented him, I think. The same people who made Earthbound. He is an adorable pink puffball, although no one knew what colour he was in his first outing, which was on the Game Boy. The original Kirby game was actually kind of lame, because you could kind of suck enemies in and spit them out and float like this big puffy cloud. Kind of disturbing, actually, if you think about it. But from the NES version of Kirby onwards, it was amazing, since you can eat an enemy and swallow them, and then you absorb their power, and there were just so many different powers, and you could combine powers and get crazy surprises and the SNES Kirby is a similar thing it's it's kind of like a compilation of different games so there's 
there's like the Great Cave Adventure and Milky Way Wishes and there's just these little episodes of different platform action with slightly different rules to them. Like in Milky Way Wishes, you can just select your power whenever you want it. Well, the Great Cave Adventure, it's the normal inhale enemies to steal their powers, but you have to try and collect different treasures. I don't know what else to say about it. It's a really good game. And then Kirby's Dream Course, which is a Kirby game that is not a 2D platformer. It's kind of a weird pseudo 3D golf game. Oh, really? Yeah, really. One of the 21 classic SNES games, potentially not. I find this a bit of a strange choice to put on here, to be honest. I don't think this has quite got the like the classic status that some of the others have. I haven't actually played it that much, to be honest, so I don't have much more to say. We can move on. Next up is Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. And this is most certainly a classic. In my mind, this is the quintessential Zelda. Like, this is Zelda. I know it's the third one in the series, but to me, this is really when it hit its stride. This is certainly the 2D Zelda, the top-down 2D Zelda. In the same way that Ocarina of Time, I guess, is the 3D Zelda. Or maybe now that's Breath of the Wild? I think so. So again, you've not played this? Not at all. Not even a, a little bit. I don't know if it's aged well. I think it probably has, but it doesn't hold your hand as much as you'd expect a modern game to. I can imagine it could be frustrating or confusing if you were to play it now. But people write about it because it it doesn't hold your hand. And because it's so open-ended and it's up to you to learn and fail. And then, you know, through that process, succeed. It is an excellent game with many surprises and many interesting mechanics that interact in interesting ways. I remember things being found, I guess this is pre-internet, and people finding things that were surprising years and years and years later. Like I remember, remember it being quite a big deal about the discovery that you could catch a fish in a bottle and then sell the fish to the guy in the town. And people didn't realise this for like years and years and years. Or things that were known in Japan that just didn't make it to the West and then people then rediscovered it in the West years later. There was also a very interesting speedrun of this game at Summer Games Done Quick this year. So they did it swordless. Which you are definitely not supposed to be able to do. But it's possible to complete the entire game without a sword. How? Crazy, crazy glitches. So quite an entertaining run possibly worth watching although actually probably not worth watching unless you've played the game because otherwise you won't appreciate quite how bizarre it is anyway next 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 mega man x uh what's so great about mega man i was trying to remember the song I am Mega Man, I'm blue and cyan. This is like Brental Floss. It's like, what if Mega Man had lyrics? He, he's just a regular guy who's also a robot and has a gun for an arm. So he's not really a regular guy at all. <laughs> I don't know what's great about Mega Man. He's a classic shooting 2D 
whatever from the NES era and there's just so much nostalgia about his games that I don't know, they're still remembered fondly today. Let's go back a step. So you've played this, you've got this. I asked for and received this for Christmas one year. The thing that excited me so much about this is that you could charge up your arm cannon and when you charged it up, it looked amazing. What looked amazing? Like the big charged energy bolt that shoots out your arm just looked awesome. It was quite interesting when this came out. I remember it being quite controversial because we'd had Mega Man 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 on the NES. And then this was Mega Man X. So it was like, is this Mega Man 10? And then there being a whole bunch of stuff about, no, this is actually a different series. And they actually released Mega Man 7 on the SNES as well as a separate series. So Mega Man X is kind of set. I mean, Mega Man is already set in the future. Mega Man X is set in the far future, long after Mega Man. And it has a whole complicated lore and story. I think there might be an anime about it too. It's actually quite cool. And then there's like Mega Man ZX and stuff as well, which is even set even beyond that. And there's like this whole interconnected story about them. It's a real classic. Again, it's an excellent run-and-gun shooter. Did you finish it? Was it hard? It is hard. Did I finish it? You know what? I never actually finished this game. I literally got to the final boss and was unable to beat the final boss on account of my complete lack of skill. I'm sure I could beat it now. I think I was just incompetent back in the day. <laughs> You're smirking. Can you say those things? You know what? I'm just saying I could probably beat it now. Maybe I couldn't beat it now. I do remember I literally never finished it. I remember I got to the final boss and was never able to beat the final boss. There's no save states back in the day. It was hard work. What? What? There were no save states back in the day. Well, you had passwords. So you could resume your progress from like the final stage. But it was quite a hard slog to get from the final stage to the final boss. And then if you lose on the final boss, you've got to resume again and do the final stage again it was hard work i think what probably didn't help is that i was always trying to cheese the final boss because there were so many secrets in this game and one of them is that it's made by capcom who also makes street fighter and if you got all of these secret add-ons and power-ups for Mega Man, and you were at full health there was a power-up you could get which actually taught you ryo's hadouken so you could literally do the Hadouken motion and you would show Hadouken and shoot a little fireball out that would one-shot anything. I remember especially unlocking this and getting to the final boss and Hadoukening his first two forms and being like, yeah, this is easy. And in his final form, his hitbox is like right at the top in the middle of the screen. And I remember always trying to get there at full health and trying to Hadouken him to one-shot him. But it's really hard to get to the top of the screen without taking a hit and then you can't do it anymore. And then I was just trash after that, unfortunately. So I guess it's my own fault for not learning to play. 20 years later, you're still trying to cheese things. <laughs> I think, you know, the character forging experience of Dark Souls means that I probably would be able to do it now. What am I saying? I just summoned help for everything in Dark Souls. Just look at the wiki these days. <laughs> just look at the wiki. The wiki doesn't help, you know. I, I do remember, this is like one of, sorry, tangent. One of my formative experiences of Dark Souls was like, this boss is so hard. How do I beat it? I know. I'm going to look up the wiki how to cheese it. And the wiki is just like, get good. <laughs> like, no.
Secret of Mana. I love this game. This is one of my favourite games ever. This is another RPG, right? It's another RPG. The one you've played. One I've played. One I've played a lot. I do remember at the time there being a big debate about which was the better RPG, Link to the Past or Secret of Mana. Oh, not Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger was never released in Europe. Oh, okay. So there you go. So that's why it never came into the argument. What's the Chrono Trigger is a turn-based game, whereas 2D action RPG. Secret Mana. Secret Mana is more RPG-like, as in you get experience points, you get levels, there's magic. It's three players. If you put in a multi-tap, you can actually play three-player. How did you play it? I actually played this two-player with my sister. Don't know what else to say. It's really good. I put a lot of hours in. Did you finish it? Was it hard? I did finish it. It was not that hard because you can just keep grinding for more levels. But it was, it was really good. It was really good. In the story or gameplay? Both, both. Well, I say that. I think looking back now, I think the story is probably really basic, but I just invented more add-ons in my mind and it seemed amazing to my young self. So next up is Star Fox. This is another one where I do wonder if it's going to have a different name in the UK. Because in the UK this was called Starwing because of trademark issues. There was actually another Star Fox game, I think made by some other company on the Spectrum or Commodore or something. I don't know. But for some reason in the UK this was called Starwing. At the time this game was revolutionary for its 3D graphics. Didn't you make some derogatory statement like it's running at 10 frames per second? I did. Let's keep it as a derogatory statement rather than a statement of fact. So you had this? This was, in fact, my first Super NES game. So I got a second-hand Super NES with this game. And that's how I got a Super NES. How far did you get? I finished it, of course. How many levels are there? Uh, There are three difficulties, because you can choose your path at the very beginning of the game, an easy mode, a medium mode, and a hard mode. So I finished all of them. How many levels are there, though? Oh, I don't know. Like... Not many. 15? 20? No. 1? Don't know. Some. You really don't remember. Well, each each mode has, like, 5 or 6 levels. So frame rate was bad, right? We can agree on that. We watched a video just now... Of, like, overclocked SuperFX chip to make it run better. But you know, we said, um, was it? Revolutionary 3D graphics... And you were saying, it looks so sparse. It looks so bare. It does. It's bare, bare. So graphics-wise, it was revolutionary. What was the gameplay? It was I, I, I played, was it? I completed the first mission, that was it. That's as much as I played. Did, did you find it fun? I mean, it plays really well. It's really fun. It is really fun. The boss battle was fun as well. And the music, it's got really good music too. It's like really like soaring exciting, you know, we're going to punch through the enemy lines and... With a rabbit. And a fox. And a toad. And a falcon. Yes, a falcon. Do you know what to expect from Star Fox 2, which is also in the pack? This is crazy, this one, because it was finished and then never released. So now, 20 years after it was meant to originally be released, it's finally being released. And the story is that... It was done, but they didn't want it to detract from the N64, which was coming out. 
And they also thought that its 3D did not compare favorably to the stuff coming out from like the PlayStation and so on too. So they decided not to release it, which is a real shame. I have actually played Star Fox 2 already because there was a leaked ROM some years back. And so I have actually played that. But at the time it was all in Japanese since I played it very soon after the leak. I think they've actually cleaned it up a lot since then and it's actually pretty much fully playable. But still, I don't think it was like a retail copy of the game, which is what this is going to be, obviously. So I would be interested in playing this one just to see what it was really, really meant to be like. So you're just going to find the ROM again, right? (laughs) I I couldn't possibly comment. You mean I'm going to borrow someone's SNES Classic and play it and then give it back to them? Yes, yes, of course. Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting. If someone said, oh, these are some suffixes, you have to guess whether they're real or fake. And I said, this one's a fake one, obviously. For a long time. Well, I guess they actually still have this problem now. But for a long, long time, people were like, bring us Street Fighter 3. We want Street Fighter 3. Like, lol joke, have another version of Street Fighter 2. It's kind of, but not quite as bad as Valve's problem with the number 3. Yeah, Street Fighter has a suffix problem. Like, they just love adding more suffixes to the different versions. There was, well, there was obviously Street Fighter 2, and there was Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition, and then there were all sorts of hacks of Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition, like Rainbow Edition and whatever, which are just literally dodgy Taiwanese and Hong Kongese ROM hacks of it, of the arcade boards. So the fireballs can't go up and down, they can't... That This is all the weird Rainbow Edition yeah. one, yeah. This one is just a much faster version of Championship Edition. So you can play as the four boss characters, Sagat, Vega, Borog, and Bison, and you can play as the same character as your opponent, and it's just much faster. I think there are a few extra moves too that weren't in the original Street Fighter 2, but now I'm not confident of which ones they are. I'm trying to think, is the teleport in this one, or is that in Super Street Fighter 2? Never mind. I'll believe you, whatever you say. It also has the same amazing cheat code that is how I remember the layout of the SNES pad, which is down R, up L, Y, B, X, A. In this case, it unlocks 10-star turbo. And that's just a speed? Yeah. It just makes the game much, 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 much faster. Are you any good at Street Fighter? Probably not in absolute terms. But better than you. Better than you? Well, better than you, obviously. I think I was good compared to the other people I was playing against back in the day as in like other people in your immediate area who own SNESs but in today's global rankings I would be garbage fair enough Super Castlevania 4. I actually don't have much to say about this. It's another one that I've like played on demo kiosks but never actually owned. It's another Castlevania game. I like the new Castlevania games. I like the Metroidvania, in inverted commas, Castlevania games. 
I was not actually hugely into the pure the action ones. So back in the day, I kind of gave it a miss. So you were referring to the Metroidvania games, not the Castlevania games, you know, whatever one in the franchise. Yeah, so I, I'm referring to the Castlevania games that came after Symphony of the Night. So Aria of Sorrow or Dawn of Sorrow or those ones. So you've played those, is that what you're saying? I've played those. I haven't played this one because <laughs> this is a classic pure action Castlevania. Like one level after another, get to the end of the level, beat the boss. Next level, get to the end of the level, beat the boss. Not the exploration and backtracking with new superpowers and whoa there's another castle and it's upside down spoilers super ghouls and ghosts ghouls and ghosts (laughs) <laughs> Why are you saying it so weirdly? Because <laughs> ghouls you have to say properly, otherwise if you you can say it lazily as well. How, how would you say it lazily? Ghouls. I can't tell the difference. Maybe it's just my poor hearing. I thought this game was really cool. I thought this game was really cool. It's just really hard. So I remember this one as the game where the guy will end up running in his boxes at some point. Yeah, it's really punishing. You start out in a suit of armour. And if you touch an enemy, you just go flying backwards and your armor flies off and you run around in your boxers. You undress yourself. And if you hit an enemy in that state, then all your skin flies off and you're just a skeleton and you just die. It's pretty vicious. I can't tell whether you're joking or not. It's true. That's what happens. Like the second hit, you just collapse into a pile of bones and die. But there is a, a moment where you're running around as, as a skeleton. No, no, you don't run around. <laughs> you literally just go flying backwards as a skeleton. I was dreaming too hard. I don't know why I like this game so much. I didn't actually own it. I had a cousin who had it. And the really difficult thing about this game is that if you jump, you have to commit to the jump. So unlike Mario and a lot of other 2D games, you have no control of your character once you're in the air. So you make a jump. And if you make that jump and you realize you're going to fall in a hole or there's an enemy in front of you, tough luck. You do actually have a double jump. So you have one chance to save it. But again... Once you've committed to that second jump, you can't change your direction at all. So you have to think about when you're going to make that second jump to try and get you out of the, you know, pickle you've got yourself into. It is really tough. Enemies coming from all over the place, different weapons, you can level up your armor. And then famously, you have to play through to the end of the game and beat the final boss. Well, actually, no, beat the penultimate boss, at which point Princess Guinevere appears and she's like, oh, you don't have the power to beat the final boss. You need to get the goddess bracelet. I'm going to send you back to the beginning so you can find it. And you get sent back to the beginning of the game. And you have to do the whole game again. But you have to make sure that at some point you pick up this goddess bracelet and use that as your prime weapon. Because if you get back to the penultimate boss and you don't have it, you get sent back to the beginning again. Did you get this far? No. Jeez, I didn't even get to the penultimate boss. I watched it on YouTube. I have no idea who the hell finished this game back in the day. Freaking impossible. I think I did once see the ending... By just using a game genie to cheat straight to the final boss without the magic weapon. But you can still beat him without it. After all these stories, I really appreciate the relevance of the game genie. Games were difficult back then. They did remake this on the PSP. Which you have? Which I have, yeah. I remember this game fondly, even though it was so difficult and I never finished it. I didn't finish the PSP version either. (laughs) 
Super Mario Kart. Don't know what to say. I mean, this is the original genesis of Super Mario Kart, of which we're on the eighth deluxe instalment now. How did that happen? How did that happen? I don't know. Something, something, Isabel, something, something amazing. Could we just name all eight quickly? Super Mario Kart. Yeah. Mario Kart 64. Yeah. Double oh. Dash. Okay, yeah, Double Dash. I was about to be really flipping and go four, five, six, seven. <laughs> so we've got seven and eight on the other side. Yeah, there's Mario Kart 7 as well, isn't there? Oh, there's, there's Mario Kart Wii? Yes. Did they include the Game Boy ones in there? Were they Game Boy ones? There were Game Boy Advance ones. There's a Game Boy Advance one, and there is a DS one. Well, that's Mario Kart 7. Ah. Uh, okay, so there, there's a Game Boy Advance one. Which yeah. I don't remember the name of. And we're just missing the fifth one. Well, that's okay. Close enough. Close enough. So what? what's your story with Mario Kart? Did you have it? I don't think I personally owned this. I think my cousin owned it and I had a friend who had it too. I don't know if you remember this at the time, but like people would joke that you, know, you invent new swear words when you're playing these multiplayer games you know, to refer to. You. So we did have this whole jargon about it where for some reason a banana was called a frolic. And you're like, you're like oh, I'm going to drop a frolic. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a frolic in your face. And then for some reason, like, the greatest insult was to be a cake maker. It's like, what? You, you cake maker? How could you do this to me? It's like, yeah, frolic to you into the lava. I don't know why. You were young. We, we were young. This is the greatest insult you could come up with. Yeah, I played it quite a lot. Two player, you know, with friends. I think it's actually really hard. Like, it doesn't actually play a lot like the recent Mario Karts. But obviously, it's what started the whole thing off. Were you good? I think it's a similar thing to Street Fighter, where I was good compared to people. It's like, you know, when you're back in the village, and you think, oh yeah, I'm like top dog, and you go to the big city, and you realise you're nobody. Was there battle mode back then? Yeah, there was battle mode. Two-player battle mode? Yeah, two-player battle mode. Worth it? Yeah, worth it. Fun times. Super Mario RPG, Legend of the Seven Stars. I've never heard of this. You've never heard of this? No. That's because it was never released in the UK. Again. It's supposed to be really good. It's actually made by... You know what? You know like Kingdom Hearts, cross between Disney and Final Fantasy, made by Square Enix? I mean, this is kind of the original crossover, because this is made by Squaresoft, which is Square before they merged with Enix. And it's... Well, it's not a crossover with Final Fantasy, but it's an RPG in the Mario universe. It has a bunch of original characters. Original characters? Yeah. I I can't remember their names because I've never really played this, except on an emulator for like half an hour, because it was never released in the UK. But there's like a puppet and a cloud. I think the cloud's called Mallow. can't remember what the puppet's called. They're really popular. People keep saying they should add them as Smash characters, but, you know, I don't think they have the license. It's all licensing problems. Ugh. I heard it's good. I don't know if it's aged well. It's another one with weird pre-rendered 3D sprites. Oh, that could be interesting. I don't think it ages as well, though, as, you know, as I've already said. Pure sprite work. 
which is what the newer Mario RPGs use. I've never played any of the Mario RPGs, actually. I kept meaning to. I heard Thousand Year Door was really good. Okay, Paper Mario? Again, never played it. Heard it was good. Super Mario World. What's this game? It's one of the best games of all time. In my opinion, best 2D Mario game ever. Though, I haven't played New Super Mario Bros. Wii U. But I reckon it's probably still not as good as this one. I just remember the soundtrack. Even right now. We've already talked about this game a fair amount in various other different podcasts. I, I just think it's one of the best 2D platform games ever. Definitely worth playing if you haven't. You have to say why. So many secrets. The full game has what they term 96 exits. So some levels have more than one exit that will lead to a different level. But you can finish the game with only 11. If you take the fastest route through the secret star world, you can finish the game with only 11 exits. And loads of other cool stuff like that. Super Metroid. This game I hear about a lot from you. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. There was a very interesting YouTube video from Mark Brown recently, which is on an ostensibly different topic. Do we need a Souls-like genre? But he is talking about the pitfalls of naming a whole genre after a single game. But the Metroidvania genre, well... I mean, it didn't start out as a genre, but it's become a genre. And Metroid, Super Metroid in particular, is held up as the ultimate example of what a Metroidvania should be. Again, so many secrets, backtracking, unlocking new powers. But, but isn't backtracking annoying? Backtracking is annoying if you do it too much, but empowering if you do it just right, which I would say Super Metroid does. Like, one of the things that happens right at the very beginning of the game after the tutorial section, essentially, you land in your spaceship, you do the classic thing you do in video games of running to the right, and there's a big wall and a cliff in front of you that you can't pass. So you have to go left instead and unlock loads and loads of other power-ups and blah, 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 blah. And eventually, you unlock something that means you go back to your ship and then you can go to the right. Woo! Locked doors. Where does this lead? I don't know. I'm going to remember it for later. And later on, you come back with a pallet, so you open that door and unlock this whole other area of the game. Really cool. So I only know all this through Metroid Prime. And the backtrack king got painful. Yeah, Metroid Prime, I think the backtracking was a bit too much. Metroid Prime, there are fewer unlocks. I don't think you feel quite as powerful as you do in, in Super Metroid. Super Metroid is another game that is... Well, it's not even that long your first time through. I think it took me eight hours to finish the first time I played it. But it can be finished in less than an hour. Having said that, it's really hard. To mention again, Summer Dame's Gone Quick, which was relatively recently, there was a low percent ice race. So the idea was to try and complete the game with as few items as possible using the ice beam. So there's two, well, there's multiple low percent categories. I don't know all of them. I know there's low percent ice and low percent speed booster. Anyway, it can be a really hard game. Two of the speedrunners actually got killed really early on in the race, like 10 minutes into the race. And after that, it was just literally, 
watching this guy do a low percent ice run. He won the race by default because the other two people just crashed out. But the fact that these weird categories of the game exist is a testament to how interesting and freeform the exploration and unlocking of powers is. I didn't realise this next game was on the list. I was about to ask where it was, but it's here. Super Punch-Out, which you had. No, this is another one that I never actually owned. I just played at a shop kiosk a handful of times. So I don't actually know that much about it. I know that it's kind of supposedly more of a rhythm puzzle game than an action game. So it's kind of learning the patterns of your opposing boxers and knowing what counters to use when they execute certain patterns. But that's about all I know about it. Okay. It's a sequel to a NES game. There's Punch-Out. Originally Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And then just punch out after Mike Tyson fell out of favour. Yoshi's Island. Hmm, yeah. And this had the tagline of Super Mario World 2 back in the day as well. This is a weird one. I actually don't like this game that much. Why? To me, it didn't have the thing that I thought was so great about Super Mario World, which is the world map with all the secrets. It's a very, very linear game. There are a certain number of worlds, and you have to do each level to unlock the next one to get to the end. None of this funny multiple exits. There's a quick way through the game and a long way through the game and lots of secrets in between. The graphical style is very interesting too because apparently they were instructed to use the Super FX chip and make it all 3D or use the pre-rendered kind of high-res polygon sprite thingy that the Donkey Kong Country games had done. But Shigeru Miyamoto was like, I don't want to do that. And although they used the Super FX chip, they used it to do all sorts of funny giant rotating backgrounds and enemies and things, but in a kind of hand-drawn, woolly aesthetic. Well, not woolly like woolly world, but kind of sketchy, pencil-y, fluffy edges. I mean, it looks really good. It does look really good. And the platforming gameplay of it is good. But it emphasises things that I don't like and doesn't contain the things that I do like. So... It's all about trying to get 100% on each level, which you get by getting certain collectibles and finishing with a certain number of like seconds on the clock. Well, seconds on your Mario kind of countdown health clock because you're carrying baby Mario as Yoshi. I personally found it annoying because I like to just get to the end of the level. I don't like to have to go, oh, I missed a flower. I'm not getting 100%. It's going to annoy me. I better go try and back get this flower. I like to be able to just, I got through the level. Good. Where's the secret exit? I want to look for secret exit. Good. So that is my reasoning. You never played it? No, you don't like collectibles. This is probably why I didn't bother with Donkey Kong Country as well, because I heard it was very much emphasising collectibles. Collectibles actually just annoy me. You love collectibles, right? Only if they lead to an achievement. (laughs) No achievements in the SNES era. It was a better time. We're so free. I don't need collectibles. You just need the achievement. Yeah, yeah. So interestingly, the Japanese version of the SNES classic has different games. Kind of makes sense. Because you can kind of imagine that 
the games that were big over there would be different. So, there are five games that are exclusive to Europe and the US, which are Earthbound, Kirby's Dream Course, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting, Super Castlevania 4, as you punch out. And the Japanese version replaces them with... Fire Emblem. Mystery of the Emblem. I never played this. I probably would have liked it if it had actually come out in the UK. It is a turn-based tactical RPG. And then obviously Fire Emblem's really popular now. I know the 3DS version just did really, really well. Everyone's saying it's one of the best games ever. I never played it. Still, I know very little about the SNES installment. The Legend of the Mystical Ninja, which is actually the UK name for it. I think it's called like Gambare Gomon or something in Japanese. And it's actually based on the legend of this legendary thief. Anyway, I actually own this, the UK version of it. It's weird and bizarre because I think it's obviously referencing all sorts of things in Edo, Japan and historical things about the legend of this mystical ninja. Obviously, none of those cultural tropes translate, and it just becomes this really weird and random game in English where weird stuff happens that you have no cultural context for, but it just seems really cool. Like, you're fighting clockwork ninjas, and then you randomly go into a bath to restore your health, and, you know, being 12 or something, and being like, I don't understand. Why are they eating little balls on sticks? Why is this cat giving me a better weapon? What's this giant raccoon dog thing? Why is the ghost woman throwing plates at me? I think if you are Japanese, these are probably all legends and myths or just elements of culture, like the bathhouse. But they don't translate. The first Mystical Ninja game is the only one that actually got brought to the West, sadly, because they are actually really fun games. What is it? A 2D side-scrolling job? It's kind of split into two distinct sections. The sprites are the same, but the game controls differently. So there's a kind of pseudo 3D walking around town phase where you can like walk up and down as well as left and right into the background and stuff and go into shops and do shopping and try and talk to people and get items and stuff like that. And there are separate action stages as well, which are literal 2D platforming and fighting. It's fun. I did finish it. It was pretty hard, but then actually most games are really hard back in the day. It was really fun to play two-player. I played it with the same guy I used to play Mario Kart with, but it's very much a cooperative game, this one. You can't hit each other. I do remember that the third stage of the game is actually a fun fair, and literally just spending ages just running around the fun fair and beating up people for cash, and then spending it on like carnival games. So you could actually like spend money and play a level of Gradius, for example. Like, they actually had Gradius in this game as a minigame. It's pretty cool. Alright. The next exclusive game... (laughs) 
panel de pon. Did you have this? I didn't have this, but it was released in the West as Tetris Attack. I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, because it's nothing to do with Tetris. So, in Japan, Panel de Pon is a kind of fairy-themed match-three puzzle game. And then, in the West, it's called Tetris Attack, and it's all Yoshi-themed. And then also, I think, Pokemon Puzzle League as well, which is actually the same game, but Pokemon-themed. So, they obviously just brought the game over, but thought it wouldn't do well without more recognisable theming in the West. It's an interesting match three puzzle game. Lots of combos and... I don't know, I'm trying to think how to describe it. I mean, it's a match three puzzle game with gravity. The game I wrote for the iOS store all those years ago is heavily inspired by it. Not much to say beyond that. I'm not actually very good at it. Despite the fact that I tried to make a clone of it. The next one, you've actually got something to say about... This is a weird one. Super Soccer. Not sure why this isn't part of the European one, but I play this a lot with my friends. It was just our go-to football game. Two players. And there were three of us, we just rotated between the three of us. This is how we got Nintendo Thumb. I don't know how about you. And this is before EA Sports side coming with their FIFA franchise. It's quite a basic game, isn't it? Relatively. In what way? Like, there's no real players. Like, there's no, like, real-life players. It's literally, like, you just pick a country, and the country's got some stats. But it doesn't have, like, the same detail that modern, you know, football, soccer games do. Yeah, they all look the same. Yeah, it's just literally just changing the colour of the shirt, and then maybe run slightly faster or slower or tackle slightly better or something. Maybe not even that. Maybe it's all it's all placebo effect. I think so. And the last exclusive game... Super Street Fighter 2, The New Challengers. It's a different version of Street Fighter 2. It's not as fast, but it has... New Challengers? Four new characters and some new moves. <laughs> what, you know, what's... Okay, you obviously can't see that, but I just made a funny face. I was just like, meh. We can hear that you made a funny face. <laughs> yeah, from your reaction. Yeah, what's there to say about this? I don't know. The four new characters, Cammy, DJ, Feilong... Oh, geez. Who's the fourth one? T-Hawk. Kami has become like a real Street Fighter mainstay now. I'm not sure the other three have made it into so many future games. Like, I don't know if DJ or T-Hawk or Fei Long are in Street Fighter Five, for example, but I think Kami is. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I would have thought Fei Long would have made it, but now you've told me to reference Street Fighter Five. I'm not so sure. Not much else to say about it. Well, that completes the list. That completes this, that completes this list. List completed. Well, just a quick one. What's missing? What do you feel is missing? I'm going to give you three, because, you know, otherwise we'll be here all night. Three? Wow, I could only think of two. Okay, I'll take, I'll take two. Oh, I'm trying to think of a third one now. Well, the two that I thought of would be a Bomberman game, just because the multiplayer is so fun. It just seems like an oversight not to have a Bomberman game. and 
as you mentioned earlier, Chrono Trigger, probably one of the best RPGs. Again, never released in the UK, but I have played it, and I have actually finished Chrono Trigger. Off the top of my head, I think those are the main ones. I'm going to remember something else later, and be like, oh, I forgot that game was amazing, why didn't I say that? But, yeah. Did you play Earthworm Jim? Did you have Earthworm Jim? Funny story about Earthworm Jim. Doug owed me money. Hey, Doug. And he gave me his copy of Earthworm Jim in recompense. And I was like, all right. So I did own Earthworm Jim. (laughs) That's how I acquired it. Did you play it? Of course I played it. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. There was a huge, huge, huge amount of hype about Earthworm Jim back in the day. I'm not quite sure why, if I'm honest. Because it was just kind of a competent action platformer with a slightly goofy main character and plot. But I don't think it was that good. I think it was because of the goofiness and the ridiculousness of it all when you're a 12-year-old. Yeah, perhaps. And there was the TV show as well. Oh, was there a TV show? Oh, yeah, you're right, there was a TV show. Yeah, it's quite popular. I mean, I do still remember many of the characters from it. I remember there's like Professor Monkey for a head. And then there's the crow. Is it Pete the puppy? I think so. Anyway. So you would put that on the list, would you? Yeah. And the other one I had really was Stump Race FX. But I don't really know how big a deal that was. I thought Stump Race FX was supposed to be bad. Was it? Was it bad? Like the Super FX chip when it came out, everyone's going, it's amazing, it's revolutionary, look at the power of the Super Nintendo. But actually Star Fox was the only really good game that really made use of like the 3D-ness of the Super FX chip. And then you've got Yoshi's Island, which was, you know, a good platformer. I mean, I didn't think it was as good as Mario World for various reasons, as I said, but it was still a good game that made use of the Super FX chip. All of the other attempts to use the Super FX chip, I thought, came out kind of lame. Maybe I'm being unfair. I just have weirdly positive memories about it. But I'm a positive person, so it could have been really shit if I'm honest. (laughs) I'm a positive person, unlike you. So I have really positive memories. I didn't play it much, so I don't really know. I can't really judge it. The graphics were weird, though, because the chassis wasn't connected to the wheels, right? It's like cars like Rayman. It's a bit weird if I think back. Didn't the cars have eyes? I just look in the back of the car most of the time, if I'm honest. You may be right, though. That's all I have. That's all you have? I think Uniracer? Unirally? Do I care as much? Not really. Really? No. I heard it was good. I never played it. NBA Jam I care about. NBA Jam was amazing. Do you remember all the codes and stuff? You could play as Bill Clinton and Al Gore. No, you couldn't. You could. What? I am completely 100% deadly serious. You could play as Bill Clinton and Al Gore. No joke. There was a cheat code. There's another cheat code for dunking from the halfway line that was ridiculous. You literally like run up the halfway line and then just do this amazing dunk. I don't usually like sports games, but this was barely a sports game. So you put that on the list too. Yeah, yeah, I would. But sports games back then seemed a bit too random for me. Maybe because I didn't understand them back then. I think I don't like serious sports games and sports games now tend to be serious sports games. I like ridiculous games. That's why... Now, the only racing game I get on with is Mario Kart because it's ludicrous and you can play as a dog and throw shells in people's faces. And most games back then had to be a bit more abstract. So sports games back then, maybe I had more fun. All right. 
So that's your lot. That's our lot. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. Um, you can find us on Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. You can find us an email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. You can find us on Reddit still. Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. You can find us on YouTube. Link in the show notes. And you can definitely find us on Twitch. <laughs> Will I still be playing PUBG and streaming it on Twitch at the time this comes out? Forever. You'll be doing it for the rest of the year. I don't know if I will because I might die of exhaustion if I carry on. I don't. Well, there's the possibility my current tiredness is coming from some bacterial infection or something. But it's also possible it's just PUBG-related sleep deprivation. <laughs> yes, I'm currently streaming far too much PUBG on Twitch. It's not high-level play. It will be. It will be. <laughs> By the time this comes out, I'm going to be amazing. Not that I'm going to be missing everything and making clips of me missing everything to show people going what's going on in this clip how am i missing i don't understand but only if you're not using a shotgun (laughs) as i said in that clip the shotgun is my spirit animal i'm amazing with the shotgun that's another t-shirt we need to make (laughs) the shotgun is my spirit animal i went on a vision quest to find my spirit animal and then i saw the shotgun it's like the shotgun's not an animal it's like say that to my shotgun (laughs) boom That's another shirt right there. Okay, so what are you grateful for this time? Shotguns. PUBG. <laughs> That's another shirt there. There's another. There's a third shirt. What What are you grateful for? On your back it says <laughs> shotguns. So Michael says bye. Bye bye. <laughs>